Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the rundown with Rob and Rich, where we take you into the weekend by running through uh, all the latest happenings in the mortgage industry over the course of the last week. And uh, we just started broadcasting live and uh, we'll go ahead and get started very shortly here. So, Rob, the all-star game. I saw you uh, whispering sweet nothings into Adele's ear down uh, courtside. <laughs> yeah, I walked up and I said, hello. <laughs> Are you? I forget the next line, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, just, just so, yeah, it was, uh, the all-star game was, uh, was big fun. And, uh, and now I'm at the uh, Republican National uh, Committee headquarters in, uh, in Missouri. So, you know, I get around. <laughs> it was a great game and uh yeah and you're you're outside i sadly didn't even i've never been to arkansas uh keith little will be mad at me <clears throat> when he hears that but uh you're that's the little rock airport the bill and hillary clinton uh, national airport yes it is i was uh a quick note on the all-star game and i know people didn't uh sign on to listen to me blather on but it was it was interesting watching uh, we went Saturday to a couple events and then Sunday and the crowd universally jeered and booed Steph Curry, uh, which is too bad. And he took it in, you know, he smiled and he, you know, he, he, he was very graceful about it. And then as the game went on, uh, the crowd really got behind him uh, in a good way, uh, which was, it was hard not to just watching that performance. He was in the zone. And so by the end of the game, the, uh, the Cleveland crowd, despite what Steph Curry did to the Cavaliers some time ago, was, uh, was behind him. So that was really neat to see. And then, um, and then after that, I, I went to Chicago and then, back, and then down here to Arkansas to speak at a, a company event and got caught up on Wednesday, in when, on Wednesday in the ice storm that was uh, going through the area and I got delayed 48 hours. Mm. So here I am trying to, uh, not that little rocks, a bad place, but trying to get, trying to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swabinski with TMC here once again with the rundown with Rob and Rich, I, as always joined by Rob Crisman, who is trying to get out of little rock, Arkansas. And this week, really excited uh, to put into the co-pilot seat, president of ACC Mortgage, Robert Senko. Robert, great to see you, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Really, uh, you know, sitting with two legends. So uh, uh, I'm excited to be, you know, part of this group. And, you know, stepping on the court, you know, using that analogy, I had to bring out my special Jordan special edition, oh, nice. you know, sneakers. So, you know, they're the two-tone Jordan. So I knew I'd be stepping on the court with legends. So, you know, I'm bring, I'm trying to bring my A game. Robert, uh, we're just glad you had pants on when you uh, showed us those tennis shoes. Well, 10 minutes before I didn't. So, I, you know, it's, <laughs> if you would have started a little earlier, that wouldn't have been the case. Love it. And ACC Mortgage, for those that don't know, are really industry leaders in the non-QM space. We brought them on board as a preferred partner uh, about three or four months ago, just in anticipation and talking to our members 
Uh, Non-QM being a much bigger part of the market, obviously, as we go forward here into 2022 and beyond. And that's how we pick preferred partners is we pick the brains of our lender board of directors, our lender base more broadly nationally, wanting to understand who they're having the best experiences with and uh, kept coming back to ACC just as a company that has been in the non-QM game before it was cool and fashionable, been doing it for a long time, good people, good reputation, know the product, certainly not the experience our members have had with all the players in that space. So Robert, really looking forward to getting your perspective on that space and the mortgage industry in general uh, as we get into the show today. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you again. I'm really excited to be part of TMC. It, you know, vice versa. You know, you and I have been, you know, loosely talking for years. So I'm honored to be, uh, you know, preferred partner and getting to know the membership and getting to meet, you know, folks down in Miami in uh, a few weeks with my uh, my sales team. So really excited to be a part of this. So thank you again. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward, Robert, to hearing how what your thoughts are on the. The, the, you know, a lot of the QM investors, QM investors for years now have been trying to take market share away from non-QM investors. So this might uh, this might be the year they do that. But wait a minute, did I get that backward? Never mind. <laughs> it, you know, it's uh, you know the popularity of non-QM, and as Rich touched on, you know, we we can't even spell FHA here in at ACC. You know, non-QM is all we've ever done. And, you know, we become popular, you become in vogue, and then people forget about you. You know, at the NBA, you know, National in San Diego, there was not one breakout session talking about non-QM. I thought that was a little bit of a slap in the face to, you know, uh, a product that represents about 10%, as we were discussing earlier, of the industry. Um, But it's a much needed product. I think, Rob, your history is Similar to mine, you know, I got in in the early 90s and we called it BNC lending. You know, this non-traditional product is always needed in every market. It's just it becomes vogue. It becomes popular. Low rates, people forget about you and kind of cast you aside. But we've stayed the course for 23 years and we've come out of a a couple crises, 2007-8, you know, COVID. We continue to lend through COVID when a lot of my counterparts did not. Um, so it's a necessary product and it's a necessary for, you know, companies, loan officers to have the non-QM tool in their proverbial belt, um, much like everything else, you know, and I, and I think there's going to be a lot of attention to our space this year. So I think, uh, you know, again, our timing is great for today and, you know, the partnership with TMC moving forward. Yeah, I, uh, I bring up ACC often uh, when I'm talking to people about non-QM and they They'll say, well, gee, look what happened in March of 2020. Like the mar- things went to hell in a handbasket. I said, I- I'll tell them, you know, there- there's one company out there that kept going, and that's ACC. If you want somebody who's got some stability and who, who stood by the marketplace uh, back then, you know, let me know, if, uh, let me know if you need their contact information because that-, that says a lot. That means a lot to lenders out there. No, I appreciate you saying that and recognizing that. And that- Joke I've always used is, you know, I'm like Richard Gere and an officer and a gentleman. I, I, I've got no place to go. This is all I know how to do. This is all we can do. I couldn't pivot into conventional. And, you know, it, it was I knew the product was, you know, was great. It performed. I just needed the rest of the market to catch up with, 
you know, little old us here in Rockville, Maryland, you know, knowing what we knew in, intrinsically. And fortunately, my investors and my capital stack provided that stability. So thank you for recognizing that. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Awesome. Let's get into it. And Rob, unfortunately, on a much more sobering note, kind of got to start with uh, what's going on in Ukraine as Russian forces uh, descend upon the capital city, which is mayored by, I didn't know this until yesterday, former heavyweight champion Vitaly Klitschko, which is crazy. Him and his brother, two boxing legends, uh, bearing arms and, and ready to fight in the streets. Crazy what's going on. And we'll leave the political commentary to the cable news screamers. But as it relates to our industry and the U.S. economy and the housing market in America and potentially Federal Reserve interest rate policy, like on the surface, the conflict with Russia and Ukraine because of all the natural resources in those areas, uh, you know, stands to pose a further risk to inflation, energy prices here in America. Some have said and speculated that that could cause the Fed to act more swiftly, more aggressively. On the flip side, uh, if there are other ramifications towards the U.S. economy as a result of this conflict or the U.S. having to get more involved, uh, it could uh, slow down the U.S. economy, which would maybe cause the Fed to detaper or whatever the hell the word is or slow down what's going on now. So uh, a lot of potential outcomes to just a crazy and unfortunate and, and really sad situation. But your thoughts on uh, you know how it could impact Federal Reserve policy and, and the housing market in America. So there's a uh, police dog uh, s- sniffing my suitcase over there. Uh, it it's legal, legal in California. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you get mauled mid-show, it would be unfortunate, but funny. <laughs> Good for uh, that would be memorable. That would, that would do. That would be good for ratings, Rich and uh, Robert. Anyway, uh, yeah, the the situation in Ukraine, we've talked about it for for, for weeks, for months, and you know Putin denying it the uh, the whole time, which of course you know went went nowhere, and so now we're dealing with a conflict, and it's it's almost been like watching the slow motion train wreck rather than something swift that's happening. And so you're sitting there watching this uh, unfold. And uh, I did a podcast interview this morning where I talked about the flight to quality. And generally, uh, the bond market will get hit by surprises, you know, like the taper tantrum several years ago. Uh, The Fed unexpectedly doing something. Japan firing a missile in the Sea of Japan. Uh, you know, Hong Kong and some Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan event. And so the markets tend to react to that versus something that they see slowly unfold. And I will say the Fed has been very good about letting their intentions be known in terms of uh, uh, ceasing the buying of treasury mortgage-backed securities, in terms of where they think inflation is, in terms of the measures they're trying to take to stop inflation. And, and you nail it because once again, the Fed, the Fed's job is not to predict geopolitical events or necessarily react to them. And the Fed is once again caught between, oh my gosh, this is going to cause this huge amount of inflation because of energy costs and because of Russia's place in the energy business. 
And on the other hand, uh, saying, well, there's going to be a flight to quality and uh, that'll take care of, of interest rates. So what we saw initially this week when news came out about the invasion was the uh, interest rates dropped, as you would expect, with a flight to quality. And then they bounced right back up. I saw uh, last night, I didn't even look lately, but the yield on the 10-year this morning was up above 2% again. And so the market may be viewing this as a temporary blip in the U.S. economic picture because if you think about what goes on in Russia and Ukraine, obviously it has implications. Uh, you know, Russia has made their stance clear that they don't want a NATO nation on their border. Uh, you know, they, they, they would say, well, it's like having Mexico, it would be like having Cuba, you know, communists in Cuba or, you know, communists in, in uh, socialists in Canada or Mexico. So, you know, what would you do, USA? That's not really, that argument really doesn't hold a lot of water. And uh, Putin has a very nationalist uh, streak to him. And so we find ourselves in this situation. But the market, I think, might be looking beyond that and hoping that the, uh, some of the sanctions will take effect and maybe Russia will, Russia will back off. I don't personally think that. I think Russia's in it for the long haul. And they might uh, figure out a way just to occupy Ukraine. And then, and then what? What are we going to do about that kind of thing? And in the meantime... We have a situation in this country where inflation still is is out of control. I won't say out of control, but it's you know the strongest it's been in decades, and so the Federal Reserve is grappling with that. And so, so I think the eyes of the Federal Reserve. That, once again, this is just my opinion, but the Federal Reserve is looking at our economy, looking at our inflation rate, not necessarily looking at Russia and Ukraine. Obviously, keeping an eye on it, but is very focused on our economy and what's going on here. And here. Hopefully you can hear me okay. But here the economy continues to boom. I'm, I'm looking at the, 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 the airport parking lot here in uh, Little Rock. It's full. The airport is bustling. And uh, every airport I've been to this week, and I've been to several, uh, has, been, has been just going gangbusters. Sorry about that. It's the uh, Air National Guard is practicing uh, touch-and-go fighter jet landings. But you go to a restaurant, the, those that restaurants that are open, they're full. Our economy tends to do pretty well. It's doing very, very well, and I think that's what the Federal Reserve is looking at. So we'll see some volatility with rates, but I think the, the overall trend is higher. Yeah, you look this morning, consumer spending came out uh, up 2.1% in January versus December, beat expectations greatly. Durable goods orders, uh, poor tender of business spending was up double uh, what economists were projecting. So the economy continues to do pretty good. And Robert, your side of the business, not as impacted as much by interest rates, uh, not as sensitive to it. And uh, we were kind of talking before the show, uh, TMC Benchmark, our, our network's benchmarking tool that all the members submit data to, uh, just poured through the January numbers and wrote the executive summary. Almost 10% of new applications in January were non-conforming loan applications. That's up 3% month over month. And the first time that number has been over 7% in like four or five years. So uh, you talked about like your business has stayed steady, really. A lot of more conventional lenders have seen a big drop off. Um, but we're looking at a year where non-conventional, non-conforming products are going to be a bigger piece of the pie. And 
we've heard that loud and clear from our members, and, and that's why we moved to, to bring you guys on on board as a partner. No, it's it's true. Like I said, we're close in, a sh- in the shortest month of the year. We may set a new record for you know our our personal. Um, so w- things are good at ACC, but you know to touch on what Rob was saying, what I really look at and you know mixing you know the Fed's message is really about employment. We do a lot of self-employed loans, so they support the economy. And there's a lot of people through COVID that became self-employed and people before who have thrived. So to me, that is the bellwether. That's where the Fed, you know, everyone's talking rates and Russia and Ukraine, but when you see employment and there's so many job openings, that's a great sign because there's a lot of demand and that's causing wages to rise and opportunities. So to me, that's what we focus on. And and I feel very strong and talk about home price appreciation and maybe that that tampers and gets a little more affordability you're not going to see the hyper growth we saw from 20 to 2021 um but for us yeah things have been great and you know we continue to hire and we continue to grow and our volume you know keeps picking up and that's even before we've really gotten deep with our partnership with tmc so uh, we're, we're excited for the, the prospects. We, you know, you obviously don't like to see war, um, at anybody in any death toll at any community, but I think for the United States, things are relatively positive and the feds doing a good job in maintaining that and balancing that more and our rates will go up commiserately, um, which is okay if the employment is there. So Robert, I've got a question for you. Um, there are there are many reasons why a particular originator or a particular branch or a particular lender might send the loan down the non-QM path. Do you have a break a breakdown percentage-wise, or, or roughly, do you know offhand what are the? Uh, and I don't know if you can see me breathing steam here, but it's it's flipping cold. Uh, so I'm smiling to stay warm. Uh, do you have a breakdown of, of the reasons or the attributes of, of your residential mortgages that are that go non-QM? You know, the usual reason is, oh, the debt to income or it's a non-warrantable condo or whatever. What what are the general characteristics that you're seeing in this current environment uh, of your production? Really, our two biggest buckets are, as I touched on, self-employed. Self-employed, you know, we have bank statement programs, P&L only programs. That's a huge, huge percentage because they just can't qualify under the traditional, you know, uh, underwrite that most banks and lenders, uh, you know, adhere to. The other is we have a huge proportion of our businesses in the ITIN space. So, you know, people that are here in the country, you know, they're, they're paying taxes they're here, however they got here. And again, not a political show, but these people are investing in the communities and their homes and their families. So those are our two biggest buckets. We have a small fraction that are the DSCR. Some would argue that's not even not even non-QM, but it kind of gets lumped into our world because it's you know viewed as a commercial business purpose loan. Um, so that's a, a distant third, but those two are really our driving force. And, you know, with, you know, immigration and, you know, the need for housing, um, I think that really, you know, shows, you know, the demand in non-QM. And we've been doing the I-10 lending and self-employed, you know, like you said, longer than anybody. We've been doing this since 1999. So I've got to ask a tough question here. I'm sure you don't mind it. So 
people who've been in the business for quite a while remember prime and subprime. And then uh, with the advent of Headlands slash Greenpoint and some others, the, the subprime, traditional subprime lenders crept up the credit curve. And I know we're not talking about credit curve here, but they crept up into the, toward the A paper space. And meanwhile, the quote A paper lenders crept down the curve into, you know, into, I won't say subprime, but, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac even had some products back then that uh, went went south in terms of the, the credit paper, credit quality. Do you see anything like that happening now in terms of QM versus non-QM? And once again, I realize that QM and non-QM isn't, isn't a credit uh, issue. It's a more of an attribute issue. But do you see anything going on that might happen or that has happened with regard to kind of fuzzy lines between the two? So, boy, we could have a whole show just on that topic. Uh, you know, the short answer is no. You know, the I think there's been a clear delineation. Uh, I, you know, people don't like regulation, but I think, you know, ability to repay really created a, a, a clear you know, line and definition on what is a good loan. I think that's what got lost in the run-up to the 0708 crash that anybody could get a loan. So I think, that, you know, I applaud, you know, those regulations. And that is the fear that the non-QM loan, you know, I mean, that, you know, you can make exceptions on anything else. But if you can't prove the ability to repay, that loan's dead. It is dead on arrival. So, you know, as and I know the rating agencies, that is what their complete hyper focus is on through the securitization market, through the lenders. What drives us is really that number one decision. So I don't see any of that sitting here today. I think even, you know, there was a time pre-COVID where they were getting, uh, you know, uh, individual self-prepared uh, P&L. That got kind of nipped in the bud, you know, pretty early on. So you need to have a, you know, tax professional third-party verification of that. So I think the market's done a pretty good job in self-policing. Uh, I still get questions. People want stated income. I'm like, where have you been for the last 10 plus years? Um, but the market's done a job. So I don't see that today. Uh, but that's uh, always the fear that people have been doing this a long time. I think, you know, the market in the mid 90s, Rob, when you were, you know, in the subprime space and we were, that was equity based lending. Like we looked at those components. We didn't get into that stated income. It became the slippery slope. And, you know, in Greenpoint at 75 percent, no doc. Well, 75. Well, let's try 80. Well, that well, 80, you know, and that's that's where it all fell apart for all, you know, the entire industry that that's, right. but I don't see that today. And, and I hope it doesn't come back. I went to a, uh, I was down here speaking at a company event, uh, first trust, uh, and they had a breakout session on non QM. And I thought, Oh, uh, I'm going to, I knew you were going to be on the show. And I thought, or I thought you might be on the show. And I thought, all right, I'm going to sit in here and listen to this. And they, they give, it was the, it was an internal company presentation and they give their presentation. And the first question after the presentation was, are we going to offer stated loans? And I'm thinking, gosh, <laughs> you know, boy, oh boy. But you brought up uh, the rating agencies, Robert. And when 
I looked back at the rating agencies and there was plenty of blame to go around for the financial crisis, but the rating agencies definitely had their share of the blame in terms of, uh, in terms of their rating and, and who was paying for the ratings and so forth. And you, I know that you're very fami familiar with them. Do you get a sense that their business model has changed at all in 15 years? Uh, have, they, have they corrected the wrongs that uh, arguably were present back in 2006, 2008? Or is it they're doing the same thing they were back then? So good question. Yeah, just to touch on what you said, I remember the USA Today back in 07, 08, you know, they got great color charts and they said, well, whose fault is this, uh, you know, this crisis? And they had a listing from top to bottom, from the consumer, the loan officer, mortgage broker, everyone, the appraiser, title company, and the federal government, CRA, going back to 1994 was the blank. To me, and they talked about the rating agency was supposed to really be the independent. You know, they were supposed to be the ones that flagged, that blew the whistle. So I agree with you. I, you know, uh, people don't talk about it as much, but they were, um, they were to me the the root cause because that should have stopped there at, at that point. To your question, um, yes, you know, they're they're much more vigilant. They're much more likely to push back the old adage that they'll securitize anything they'll write anything that you put together and they're pushing back on certain products and certain you know uh, you know they, they're looking a little more deeply so i think you know from my perspective and i don't deal close with them i have a you know my team my capital markets team they they have learned the lesson so i think everybody's more eyes wide open on, you know, what caused the, at least the last crash, I'm sure something else can be, you know, uh, you know, we'll learn something else, you know, going back to the SNL crisis of the late, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Um, you know, we're always going to find something new, but, you know, as I see right now, I think everybody is right on the same page. Yeah. Hey, uh, just a quick word of warning. I don't want it to happen, but I, but they, uh, my computer just flashed up, said battery running low. So hopefully I've got enough power because I, I find this subject fascinating. Uh, are you seeing, Robert, a, uh, uh, a surge in rate locks? Uh, I know a lot of the industry, the MBA is talking about volume being down, you know, 40, 50%, 30%, whatever it might be. But is your business actually increasing lock-wise and interest-wise? So it's funny, you know, the, the, the rate lock, we, you know, uh, I know there's companies out there that got caught off sides and they had locked and they're not honoring those. You know, we've been fortunate in the way we hedge in price, you know, we've honored all those locks. Now, that being said, we've kind of pivoted a little bit earlier in the opportunity because traditionally, you know, in the, the last several years, it wasn't very volatile. So a couple of weeks ago when we had some rate spikes, you know, there was people that came in, they were all floating and we were very clear, um, you know, now people are more let's lock, let's lock, you know, where people were going with the floating game thinking, well, let's, you know, trees don't grow to the sky and rates don't go to zero. So I think that's where um, we're doing that. So we've, like I said, we've accelerated, you know, we're facing a record month this month, um, you know, March in the spring, you know, markets right around the corner. So, uh, 
we're we're busy, and I and I think my competitors would say the same thing. I think that you know the the eyes are pivoting. When you don't have low rates, what else can I find? And you know, through my experience of almost thirty years, you know that this is when the attention in the non traditional um, you know space we get it in a rising rate environment. So there you go. This is Richard, the I didn't mean to hog the show, but Rich, go ahead. No, no, great questions and yeah, great conversation. And this is the rundown with uh, Robin Rich, Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined by Rob Crisman this week. Pleased to be joined by ACC Mortgage President Robert Senko and uh, some notes in the chat. Uh, Robert, question here for perspective purposes: What percentage of the volume was non-QM last year, and what is the projection for the percentage of non-QM business this year? I don't know if, you know, someone teed out 100% of our business is non-QM. We didn't do not one conventional Fannie Freddie, FHA, VA. Uh, everything we do is non-QM. Not, you know, when I fill out my end of year report, yeah, zero. So that's, that's the easiest question I'll get all day. I think he was saying is the total bid, like the total pie, the total residential lending pie. With it, oh, okay. So when you look at, I think the forecast, and you could probably tell, is about 1.9 trillion of business for the year. Um, so I, I would suspect, you know, as you touched on, you know, 10% of the applications now. I think a healthy number for our industry, and I think, you know, hopefully things are a little more normalized. I know last year was an exceptional year in the mortgage industry. But we should represent about 20 to 25%. I think that's a healthy percentage of the pie. So I see us being able to double in terms of the volume, but as a percentage of the pie where we were in the probably two to four percent, you know, will grow, you know, incrementally as you know the, the total pie shrinks. So I think in a normalized time, 20 to 25 percent. And uh, thanks, Robert. And then just Obviously, you have competitors that are non-QM buyers in the secondary market, but another competitor of non-QM is just depositories that put right these loans on their shelves and the portfolio. Uh, any sense of how that dynamic may be changing a little bit? I, you know, I guess on the surface, with home values appreciating so much, loans they have on the books now they feel better about because of that equity protection. But just having worked for banks for a long time, I could tell you the way that the banks I worked for would have looked at it. They would have looked at it, you know, from the risk perspective that they would almost assume that we're going to have some kind of correction to housing values. Do you think that opens up more opportunity for you and other buyers in IQM in the secondary market competing against depositories that they may look to put that stuff on the shelves? You know, it, that, that's a fascinating question. You know, years ago, you know, I, I tried to buy a bank bad timing. 08 is when we put the contract in. So try raising money to buy a bank and when the world was collapsing. So we may, we may have lost a little bit on that deal. But, you know, understanding, you know, inside the banks, and as you said, you could probably opine more on this. The They're so risk averse, you know, from, you know, regulatory and perception of their, you know, who's reviewing these files based on deposits, based on that. And, they don't like to think too much out of the box. Good banks do, and they create those relationships. But in scale, that myself and the competitors, I think we're our, you know, there's a great space, um, great place in the market for us. You know, most people go to their 
you know, what do they do? They go to their depository. They go to their bank to be able to do this. And, you know, the big institutions, and they're more big than small, there's less banks today than there was 10, 12, 15 years ago. Um, you know, Bank of America is not going to get into the non-QM space. You know, you know they're just not going to do it. They're very much in their box. So, you know, the I think as a percentage and driver of that business, I'd love to partner with a bank and be able, if they were into that and work with that, to put on their balance sheet. Um, but from an origination standpoint, they don't understand how to underwrite it. They don't understand how to sell it. They don't know how to price it commiserately with, you know, with risk for those. And I think, you know, when Rob, before he dropped off, was talking about what led up to the previous crash, and it was really because institutions, big, Fannie Freddie, were going into a product they really should have never had any involvement. They went outside their charter. They went outside their mandate. So I think banks, you know, they can invest in the securitizations. They can put their money behind, you know, the tranches of a non-QM, you know, loan. But from an origination standpoint, they just don't know how to do it. So I, I don't see them as a threat. Um, because that's just not what they're ever going to do. And I think, you know, you could probably talk about that more than me you, if you've been inside the bank. That's just not who they are or who they want to be for that matter. Absolutely. So another question came in the chat. What's the typical marketing strategy for non-QM lenders? <laughs> Rob, we thought you got mauled by the pot sniffing dog. Uh, luck, good to see you. <laughs> you're still alive, but uh... <laughs> I think you're on mute now. Uh, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> um, Ratings killer. Come on. We should have, we, we missed some gold there, Rob. Uh, Robert, a uh, question in the chat, just generally around how you find non-QM borrowers, the general marketing strategy, any guidance? You know, it, again, I, I've done webinars on this exact subject. You know, non-QM is about, selling the solution. You're not selling rate. And that's really where non-QM at the core has emanated from. That's what's marked my career and what is defined ACC mortgage, all credit considered. So you're selling a solution. And that's where you have a buyer who went, just as we touched on, you know, went to their bank. They, they're self-employed. They're making money. They've saved money, but they're the way they they're taxing and they're the they're showing Uncle Sam, you know, this is a beautiful bank statement loan. They've got the cash flow, but Bank of America is not going to do that. So we're finding the solution for them until they've got, they've got lost carry forwards. That's the key for non-QM. So for people interested in wanting to do that, that was kind of where I defined myself. You know, if you're selling rate, rates will go up, but if you're selling solutions, everybody has problems. Divorce, um, you know, buyouts, you know, self-employed, taxes, you know, uh, you know, really a lot of where non-QM came out of the 07, 08 was people who had deed and lose and foreclosures, you know, they got in, but they recovered, you know, the market in general wasn't able to provide the finance, but these people were putting down, you know, 15, 20, 30%. Where's the risk in that? And that was finding the solution. So, for anyone, it's simple. You're selling the solution. Tell me your problem. Because anybody can shop around for the lowest rate, and, and it's become a commodity with Fannie and Freddie. But non-QM is really about a consultative approach and finding the solution for the borrower. Some other stuff in the news this week, Rob. Uh, Open Door announced today they lost $662 million last year. 
5.7 billion in unsold housing inventory. The plight of the iBuyer continues. FHA came out and announced that they're getting pretty close. They're rolling out a 40-year modification product for people in a loss mid situation. United Wholesales suing more brokers. Uh, And you got Kay Schiller that came out late last week, 18.6% year-over-year home appreciation. But I think more notably, from November to December, another 1.5% monthly gain. gain. So homes still appreciating at an annualized rate at about 18% with no sign of dislike. Now, homes have now appreciated basically close to 20% for the last two years with nothing at all on the horizon that's going to slow this down. I, I, people make fun of me because I talk so much about this and I, I, it's become, am I the only one worried about this? Rich, people make fun of you? Are you kidding yeah, me? All the time. Uh, by the way, I, I, I slipped that dog an edible uh, to get off my leg. Uh, uh, so I, I was waiting for the uh, inevitable uh, Rich Strabinsky uh, multifaceted question there. The uh, when you look at the uh, if, if I'll, I'll spritz a little water on that, Rich, a little bit, not much. The uh, when you look at the appreciation in various marketplaces around the United States, the the just as in the past, the warmer, nicer areas, the Florida's, the Arizona's, the Southern California's, the Texans, that those areas have appreciated 20 percent or more. If you look at some of the colder climate areas, nothing, nothing about nothing wrong with Cleveland. I was just there. Nothing wrong with Chicago. I was just there. But those markets have appreciated less. And if anything, it seems like there's this move. Uh, there's this population move. I've, I've been at recent events where there have been all kinds of people from Ohio and, and Wisconsin, and Illinois, Indiana. Uh, Pennsylvania and so on. And I'll be talking to them about the market, like groups of them. And I'll say kind of what's going on out there. What, you know, what'd you do this weekend or something like that? And they'll say, Oh, we just got back from Florida. You know, we were looking, uh, we were looking at for second homes down there. And it's almost inevitable that when you go around the table or go around the group, either somebody already has a house along the Gulf coast or the Carolinas, Georgia, or is looking at buying a house. And so I would say that a lot of this appreciation is selective, but you know, I know that uh, we had Ivy Zellman on probably five, six months ago, and she was talking about how uh, the buildings, builder sector is, is overdone. And I, I didn't have the stats to you know, fight her. Uh, and she obviously knew her stuff, but I just continue to see circumstantial evidence that this market isn't isn't really going down, and I make I was writing, uh, uh, sitting there in the, my uh, Motel Six room this morning writing tomorrow's commentary, and I make the point that despite what happens in Ukraine, despite what happens with North Korea, you know China, Taiwan, Mongolia, whatever, you know if you are Mr. and Mrs. Hernandez and you're renting an apartment for two thousand dollars a month. And you might be self-employed or whatever, to, to Robert's point. And it doesn't matter what's going on in Ukraine or whatever. If you can get a mortgage payment and your monthly payment is $1,500 or $1,800 in a school district that your kids 
uh, will be would benefit from. It doesn't matter what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. If it makes sense, it makes sense. And so I would say that, you know, as an industry, we continue to help those people who rent, whether they're renters or whether they're just people in their 20s or 30s or 40s who want to own a home or don't, or people getting divorced or separated or recent immigrants to this country. It just doesn't matter uh, so much uh, many of the things that are going on out there. And I, I, I get that sense in, in traveling around, talking to lenders who say, you know, it's going to be, it's not going to be the year that we had in 2020, but it's still going to be, you know, a decent year. And companies, a lot of companies are focused on cutbacks. You're right. I had a list this morning of uh, a lot of lenders or companies that have either closed, stopped mortgage lending like Santander or have cut back, laid off, you know, better.com uh, back in December. So the smart companies out there are saying, all right, we need to uh, take a look at our costs, whether that's, you know, personnel or healthcare. You know, healthcare is an often overlooked cost that many lenders have that should be looked at. Take a look at those costs and say, where can we cut back and offer the products that our borrowers need or want to Robert's point. You know what what they're selling out there they're not selling rate and rates are going to do what they do we're helpless to do that but uh in terms of what goes on in croatia croatia listen to me that was 1992 uh you know ukraine you know that's going to do whatever but people still want to own homes and i just don't see this being a bubble that's going to burst i don't agree with ivy zelman saying you know things are going to cool off the stats just don't bear it out. Yeah, I want to be wrong, but we were sitting here a year ago having the same conversation and pretty much predicted where we'd be a year from now. I don't see anything changing it in the short term. I think Congress will start to try to get involved somehow, probably ineffectively. But uh, And Robert, some very nice comments in the chat just about your explanation of 9QM products and uh, the platform and most importantly, the sales proposition and, and uh, how you sell it into the marketplace. And uh, Robert would welcome your perspective just on the macro of our industry in general. I mean, home values and some of the higher level things that are uh, impacting uh, our industry, a government that wants to seemingly get more involved in housing in a midterm election year. Uh, yeah, we just welcome your perspective on uh, how you view these factors. Well, I'm, I'm sure on the, if it was nice comments, my mother may have jumped on this. So, you know, that's probably my mom making nice, uh, saying nice things. You know, it, I agree. I'm a little more bearish isn't the right word. I do think things level off. If you have a raising rising rate environment and you take a little steam out of the stock market, you know, people who made so much money, they were looking to diversify. So if, if the stock market levels off, you know, Bitcoin and all these. So I, I don't. I, listen, I think we're going to have sitting here a year from now, we will have an appreciation, but I don't think it'll be 20% year over year. And I, and I agree 100% with Rob. I, my wife and I talk about it all the time. You know, we need to get, you know, when it's cold, you know, we've got to get out of Maryland and Maryland's not the worst place. You know, in another couple of weeks, it'll warm up. So we'll feel better. But I, I think there's a shift out of, you know, those markets. I think, you know, you're right that it's it's cooling down. 
Um, it, they're not having that hyper growth. It is in the Floridas. It is in the Texas, you know, and, you know, the, what's the commonality with those? It's, there's no state income tax. And, and I think people are looking to stretch their dollar. Now they're, they're paying more for their real estate. So that's going to offset some of that gain that they may pick up on their income. So I think there's a fundamental shift and I think there's going to be an opportunity for, you know, more colder states to be able to, you know, maybe readjust their tax stack and how they, you know, tax their constituents. And, you know, because I like being in this area. I have a lot of friends in this area, but, you know, you want to get out of the cold. So I think we're going to be in a great place. There's a, there's a need for housing and, you know, construction starts aren't keeping up with that. So that's going to, it's a simple supply demand. So I agree with that, but I don't think it'll, I think there will, uh, cooling off sounds like there might be a decline. I think it'll be a leveling off. There'll be a, you know, not as hyper growth. Maybe you have, you know, a 7% appreciation year over year, because at some point, you know, where do people go? Where do you, you know, there's only so much housing. You can't just snap your fingers and produce these are not widgets. So I think that will temper it with the stock market. So I think the stock market becomes the bellwether. But if you have the stock market that goes up, you know, there's good, people are going to just want to take that out. Well, gee, I did great on the stock. And I think that's going to be cooling off. So I think it's good. I think it's, you know, uh, crazy appreciation isn't good for the industry. We've dealt with that. If you get too much, people start making bad decisions. That goes to the earlier point of, well, you know, we have home price, so we can do 95, 100%, because that 100% will be 90% next year, and the year after it'll be an 80% loan to value. So we don't want that, because I think that's when lenders and institutions will make bad decisions, because they think trees grow to the sky, and that just doesn't happen. So safe to say, ACC Mortgage not not going to start i buying homes or uh, suing your customers. Well, I, I, I laugh about that i buyer. Like that's where somebody I, I I'd love to be in the boardroom and said, well, let's just do this. Let's just you know we we've got the algorithm and to do that, and that's a fool's game because they think that they can decide the market based on the algorithms. Um, that's, you know, you got to do the blocking and tackling and knowing the work and the marketplace and study that. So I, I chuckle at those groups and, you know, they deservedly need to lose money because you, you, you can't do it. It's not that easy to make money in real estate and just pick it. So sorry to cut you off, Rob. No, I was going to say, uh, actually, I don't remember what I was going to say. So anyway, I was going to say... I, I, Open Door's got five point seven billion in unsold inventory. If they just sell all that stuff, it, it it's big big way towards the inventory problem. No, it's a lot of it's a lot of homes. Yeah, I've uh, I've actually got to jump. <laughs> Sorry, I mean no, I'm not. I'm just saying. I think we're out of time, but uh, I just I just got a text saying my flight is delayed a couple hours, which is very upsetting. Little Rock doesn't want to say goodbye to you, Rob. Maybe it's meant to be. Maybe maybe you could relocate there. (laughs) Excellent. Well, uh, Rob, any you are you headed back home finally now after your uh, world travels to the All Star Game in uh, Bay? I'm I'm supposed to go back to uh, San Francisco tonight. I don't know if that's going to happen. A lot of people in the chat feeling bad for you and uh, your lavish uh, lifestyle. Uh, so you got some sympathy and some support out there in the, in the, uh, rundown community. Um, actually it's just Amy Bohr that works for us. Uh, 
Uh, Robert, you're Maryland guy. Are you college hoops guy? That's college hoops uh, territory, right? Well, I, I don't know if you would say that this year. We've had a lot of turmoil in the program, but you know, I, I'm looking forward to March Madness. I will enjoy that from my uh, beach house in uh, Dewey Beach, Delaware. I'm going to spend a, you know, St. Patrick's Day down there at the at the starboard and watch college basketball with some buddies. So, little mini vacation, and then turn around and come down to Miami and uh, meet the TMC uh, community and membership. So, looking forward to spending some time with everyone down there with some of my sales team. So we're, we're going to have a lot of fun down there. So um, looking forward to that and, you know, getting down to that warm Florida sun. Three weeks from this weekend, the Fountain Blue, South Beach, Miami, our VP member engagement, Faith Howard Mooney, just sent me a private message. One of our members just signed up with you guys, just completed the package and let her know. So uh, starting to see it happen. And uh Really, really appreciate you being on the show and uh, providing just some excellent perspective on an emerging part of our industry and uh, something that's going to be worth talking about a lot this year is lenders really, I mean, that's what I keep hearing from is like, you know, this last two years, it was just fend off the refi business. Now it is, you need to have the pencil sharp. You need to be efficient. You need to have every product. Um, You need to have, uh, you need to open every revenue bucket for, uh, your company and uh, 9QM is an area that a lot of lenders just, you know, maybe they weren't in it before the pandemic or too busy to get in it uh, during it, but uh, that we're seeing a lot of lenders move into now. So, so it's non, the joke I always use is 9QM is like, you know, my marriage. I wasn't my wife's first choice, but I was her best choice. So, you know, what people always think is going to be the best option isn't always the best option. So, you know, that's where we're excited and, you know, for the opportunity, again, to just work with the TMC membership. I I, I hope we can get to do this again. And uh, really, it was nice to meet Rob. And are you going to be in Miami, Rob? Are you going to, you know, in your jet setting? Who'd who'd miss the TMC conference? (laughs) I will be there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and to our attendees, thanks as always for wrapping up the week with us uh, here on The Rundown, uh, here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, taking into the weekend with the recap of the week that was in the mortgage industry. And uh, keep working hard to keep the show relevant and appreciate your attendance and participation. And of course, you can find this on YouTube. This will be posted to our YouTube page in about an hour, where a lot of you watch after the fact. Uh, and turned into a podcast where the majority of the pe- people listen. So if you haven't subscribed to our TMC Connect uh, podcast on uh, Apple, Spotify, any of the other podcast networks, go ahead and do that now. And uh, you can listen that way as well. So uh, gentlemen, Rob, Robert, have a great weekend. Enjoyed the conversation and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Great. Thank Likewise. you very much. Safe travels, Rob. All Take right. care. Safe Bye. travels, Rob. Take care. Bye-bye.